We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rob Doster here. I got Jeff Goodman with me. Hell no. John Fink. Are we still live? Feel the 68 till I die. I'm sorry, man. I blacked out. Randolph Children. DJ Khaled, you know the big DJ Khaled guy? Hands grow up and in. Goodman needs to be fired all the time. Josh Tasker. You're going to beat people straight up. You know the deal. Drink responsibly tonight. I'll be drinking with you. Jarrell McNeil. From the bluest of the blue bloods to the smallest of the mid majors. This is Feel the 68. After that. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. We are live on Sirius XM. We are live on Stadium. We are streaming on the Field of 68 YouTube and X channels. My name is Rob Doster. I have John Henson with me. I have head coach Chris Mack here with me. And we are watching the end of this Houston-BYU game. Number four, Houston is currently up. 69 to 68 with a minute left at BYU. We will be reacting to that live when that game goes final. We also have to talk about Duke, who finally looks like they are hitting their stride. Jeremy Roach is back. Mark Mitchell is back. And Tyrese Proctor finally showed up for a big game. I also have a hot take on the Big 12. I'm going to ask these guys if I'm crazy. I kind of think the league might be just a little bit overrated right now. They're going to tell me whether I'm not I am uh, I'm smart or an idiot. It's probably going to be the latter, uh, knowing these two. Um, but before we get into all of that, we got to talk about the man, a Saturday night, who did not quite show up tonight the way that we all expected. South Carolina beat number six Kentucky 79-62 to tonight in Columbia. Our Jeff Goodman was there. We are going to hear from Lamont Paris here in just a little bit. But uh, this was not a vintage Kentucky performance. Chris Mack, what did you make of South Carolina's win and Kentucky's struggles on the road tonight? Well, I give South Carolina, obviously, a lot of credit. You know, I, I think that this is a little bit alarming uh, for me with Kentucky. You know, everybody knows how talented they are. You know, you saw Big Z come out on Saturday and, and do his thing in a, in a very limited amount of time and, you know, what he's going to add. But he's still a freshman. And like, like we've talked about, man, their youth um, is, is something that I think when it becomes a, a pressure moment could scare me a little bit. You know, obviously on the road these things happen but I worry about when a team you know slows the tempo down or if Kentucky has a bad shooting night or they run into a really good team you know they've got to be able to defend they have to be able to win not just by making threes and not just by a, fly, a high flying offense scoring 85 90 points because they're going to have some nights where the ball doesn't go in the basket 
They're going to have some nights when they're playing teams that, you know, I think they only shot 13 threes tonight. You know, you give South Carolina all the credit in the world, not only to keep them at a low percentage, but to keep them from attempting that many says a lot about South Carolina's attention to detail. Um, that, that, that scares me a little bit if I'm a UK fan. But, I mean, their talent, I've been on their bandwagon uh, the entire season. I think it's only gotten better with the addition of Big Z. But when they run into a team where they don't have a good shooting night or a really good defensive team, they have to be able to get stops. They have to be able to defend and play a game in the mud in order to win a national championship, get to a Final Four, which obviously is their goal. And uh, they have the ability, they have the talent, but that experience over the next 15, 20 games leading to the tournament, they're going to have to get that type of experience. This game's going to help, but they've got to be able to, to play a game in the mud, I think, when, when, when it gets hard because it's going to. Yeah, Henson, I, I think it, this was the performance that kind of showed us the youth, if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. it, it felt like... You watch South Carolina, and that is a team that is a little bit older, more experienced. They're running their offense. They're running their sets. They're getting good shots where everything that Kentucky got for about like the first 30 minutes or so of that game, it all felt kind of one-on-one. -on -one. It all felt, all right, DJ Wagner's turn. All right, Robert Gillingham's turn. That works sometimes, but I don't think it worked tonight. You can't do that against a well-coached team on the road like this. Yeah, uh, in the, on the call, they were pretty much saying South Carolina's like, we know we can't, you know, talent-wise, offensively, maybe compete with them, but if we defend the heck out of them, right, maybe we'll give ourselves a chance. And so watching the game, it just looked like South Carolina came with a plan, laser focus, and they wanted to get this win. They're forward, they knew that them getting that win would put them in the upper echelon of SEC you know, in the with their record and also what we're talking about. Now now they're on our radar, right? Like, hey, you know, Rob, you were talking mm -hmm. about, hey, I think this may be a tournament team. Um, and this is just a classic young team. You know, they see that six beside their name. I've been there before. You know, you're feeling good. You're feeling great. You're going on the road. And and South Carolina was ready for them. And, and they historically struggle for some reason in South Carolina. So when I played, it was like Georgia Tech and Florida State. We just, I don't know over the years before and after me, we just couldn't always have a good game there. So that also instills confidence in the opponent as well. And, yeah, they just kind of ran up against a young Kentucky team that just wasn't ready, maybe reading their own press clippings. Obviously, Big Z had that big game, didn't play as well. He had three fouls in ten minutes. Um, you kind of wonder what <laughs> dynamic that, done, that did to the Kentucky team as well, right? Like, you know – what does Coach Kyle do? How, how does he play him? I felt like Bradshaw may press a little bit earlier, you know, and, and eventually settled in. But by that time, the Gamecocks were, you know, it was over. So um, credit to the Gamecocks. They're better than we think they are. But Kentucky definitely, this was a big letdown spot for them, you know, showed their youth tonight uh, by, I mean, getting whooped down there in South Carolina. Mac, I do feel like this could also be one of those situations where it's like, you could use this as a, a coaching tool, right? Like this is a, a, a teaching moment, so to speak, where when you can't get up and down the court and you can't play pace and you can't do what you want to do, you know, Kentucky wants to play like this. They want to shoot a bunch of threes. They want to space the floor. Um, and when you're going up against a team that wants to grind things out and go possession by possession and play 25 seconds into the shot clock, you got to find another way to win. You absolutely do. You know, you're going to play those games the deeper you get into March. You know, conference tournament, it's going to happen. It's certainly going to happen in the NCAA tournament because there are going to be some teams that, you know, even if that's not their style, Rob, they're going to say, listen, we cannot play up-tempo against Kentucky. 
We we just can't do it. Like the more the more shots that are taken in the game, the more possession advantage Kentucky. Those guys are just freewheeling and, and and playing together and spraying the ball and shooting a ton of threes. But like if if a team can put them in the half court and limit the amount of threes they're taking, they don't really have a a, a low post monster. They, those guys got to do a better job. Cal's not playing two big guys together. Uh, I know Trey Mitchell can go inside a little bit, uh, but Bradshaw's more of a, an offensive rebounder, a guy that faces the basket. Uh, they're going to have to learn how to play when, again, the game gets really sticky and it becomes more half court and they're not shooting well. They got to become a team of execution. I think they can do it. Games like this will certainly help. But um, this is the one thing that scares you about youth is they haven't mm-hmm. been in these types of moments. They're going to be in a lot of them on, on road trips now. You know, South Carolina is not going to be the only team up for Kentucky when they get them in their building. But they're going to have to answer those challenges when the game gets tight. Um, I, I felt like Kentucky played tight down the stretch. But that's just a sign, in my opinion, of inexperience. And uh, nights like to this, like, like this, hopefully allow those guys to grow up. Yep, I agree. I, I do just want to make one point quickly on Big Z. Uh, Zvonimir Ivasic, um, he had that uh, that outstanding debut, which was a lot of fun. He hit the three threes. It should have been four. I'm going to continue to debate whether or not his toe was on the line until the death of me. Had the behind-the-back pass. Um, I don't yeah. think that we should be expecting that kind of performance every single game. I also think tonight his first true road environment as a college basketball player after sitting out for three months waiting to get eligible – this probably isn't going to be like this was probably as bad as you're going to see him play, right? The truth is he's probably somewhere in the middle, a guy that can stretch the floor, protect the rim, make some shots, and help you do some things as a uh, space it out and, and protect the rim kind of a player. So um, I, I'm not – it was fun to see him go off like that. I'm, I'm not going to overreact to him struggling in his first road environment. It's not easy to play on the road in college basketball. Um, all right, our Jeff Goodman was down there in Columbia, uh, and he was able to navigate his way through the court storm Unfortunately, no uh, students hit him in the head with the chair, but he was able to catch up with Lamont Paris after the South Carolina win. All right, Lamont, back in the Bahamas, you told me you thought this team was going to be pretty good. Yeah. 16-3 and good with just beating Kentucky. I mean, this is – I'm not even sure you expected this. Yeah, probably not. I mean, I didn't didn't look that far into it, but I – with those games that we played down there, you could see a couple of things. You could see a complete buy-in. You could see the fact that these guys enjoyed playing and hanging out and being around one another. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say how many times you see that uh, represent itself out on the basketball court. You made shots and you guarded. That, I mean, that's what you do, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you've been preaching that since you've been here. Get that culture of playing tough. You, you kind of made them look like freshmen, I think, for the first time all year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were we were physical. We got the ball around a basket sometimes and tried to make some strong moves. Uh, we defended with a little physicality, and 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 that was that was kind of our goal on the defensive side was just to present the best defense that they had seen all season and see what that looked like for some of those young guys. And, 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 and you know, they were in some situations that they probably hadn't been in all season. And so uh, uh, mission accomplished to that end. But it's a, it's a simple game. We do. We want to defend really, really hard, um, be diligent about that. And then on the offense, we got to, you know, you got to make a couple shots here or there. You made a few. You made a few. Uh, the court storm. Yeah. You, you don't get too excited. I've known you 20 years. Yeah, I haven't yeah, seen you get yeah. – 
What was it like watching that here? Because, I mean, again, you took over something that you knew was going to take some time to, to build, a rebuild. Yeah, um, you know, it's great. I love it. I was – I tried to get on the microphone, actually, at the end of the game just so that we could get the teams, at least their team, cleared off before they court storm. But I wasn't going to tell them to court storm. They deserve a court storm, right? It's fun. You're a college yeah. student. Yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to be the top ten team Gotta and not do it, do it right? Um, but I, I think it's great. It's good for our guys, incredibly fun fun for our players and just to know that they had a hand in, in, in allowing that situation to happen. So I think it's a big step in terms of uh, on developing what we want to get. It's a, it's a home, great home court advantage and a great home court crowd. We had a, a sellout crowd tonight. The students had 6,000 tickets that they uh, sold and showed awesome. up today. I mean, so first really time good. I've ever been here. Yeah. And I come for this. Right. I mean, that student section was electric. They were. They really were. good. And I don't always, uh, you know, notice it too much, but it's, it was impossible no, to not notice you not? it in this game. And, and, and more so, the guys, they're just a play here or there, and the guys just feed off of that electricity. So it was awesome. You know, the good thing is uh, you're a lot better coach than you are a blackjack player. Yeah. As yeah. we saw from Bahamas. Yes. And same thing you with BJ. Firsthand. Hey, you listen, know. BJ might have been the worst blackjack player I've ever seen. And it's, and it's really frustrating when you're playing with a guy like that. He doesn't know how to play. He wins. Yeah. And you're playing right, you and you right lose. That's, what, that's, what, right. that's why I'm not a professional gambler. Yeah, smart um, you know, so, yeah, I go there with a couple dollars. I know I'm going to lose. I enjoy it when I have it. But, uh, but it, what a great trip that was. And just uh, in terms of team building, getting to know each other. But, uh, yeah, I'll stick to basketball and, and, and not to blackjack. Smart move. Congrats on the win. Thanks, my friend. It's always good to hear from Jeff Goodman in that enlightening interview. Um, this is where I got to tell you guys about Vaulted. Vaulted is an app that allows you to participate in daily cash prize pools without an entry fee. It is a place you can store your predictions forever. And by using the Vaulted Challenge feature, you can prove you're smarter than your friends. So go download the Vaulted app. That's V-L-T-E-D to challenge your friends, store your predictions, and join daily cash prize pools without an entry fee. Henson, my Vaulted, my challenge. I'm saying that South Carolina, who's sitting here at 16 and three, who's sitting here at four and two in the SEC, tied with those Kentucky Wildcats that they just beat today, who has wins over Kentucky, over Mississippi State, over a good Grand Canyon team, and over Virginia Tech on a neutral. I'm saying that this team is dancing. I'm saying that they're going to find a way to get themselves into the NCAA tournament thanks to wins like this. Do you agree? Do you accept my challenge? I agree. I, I took a semi-deep, quick dive into their schedule and all the metrics. I think this is a tournament team. If you look at it on paper, this this is a tournament team. They've got some games coming up. I mean, they've got Tennessee, you know, Auburn. So they have some more chances for quad one wins. But other than that, if they can win the games they're supposed to win, they're, they're squarely in the field. Yeah, I, I like their guards. I like Michi Johnson. Um, Talon Cooper was the best player on the floor tonight. He was uh, – he was really impressive. Um, all right, we got to talk about another one of the Blue Bloods who found a way to pick up a win tonight. The Duke Blue Devils went on the road to Louisville to pick up an 83-69 win. The big news here, Mac, they got back Jeremy Roach, who only played 17 minutes tonight, and they got back Mark Mitchell, who finished with 20 points and 12 boards. But I think more than anything else, what I highlighted watching this game and what I kind of made the mental note of was Tyrese Proctor finally looked like the Tyrese Proctor that I said was going to be a top 10 pick coming into the season. So if I could just restart the year and pretend that this was the first game that he played, that's what I really want to do. He finished with 24, had four assists. He had just one turnover. He made four threes, and three of them just felt like 
when he let it go, ooh, that's a big one. They really need that one. What would you make of the Blue Devils tonight, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I thought, obviously, one of his best games of the year uh, by far and, and, and the time they needed. You know, um, you talked about Jeremy Roach coming back, and we just talked about Kentucky's inexperience. Well, that's exactly what he brings uh, the Duke Blue Devils, and that is a, a ton of experience. You know, a guy, I think, that when he is on the floor, they, they look a lot more comfortable. And uh, him going down, uh, I, I believe it was in the uh, in the first half on that locker room then he didn't return he had uh, ice on his ankle I'm hoping that's only a, a few days type thing but they need him healthy you know I think obviously Caleb Foster's a good player Tyrese Proctor uh, had a great game tonight Jared McCain as well but there's a difference when you have a senior point guard on the floor uh, a very successful senior point guard and so you know Filipowski's always going to be a monster matchup problem Mark Mitchell played uh, incredibly well tonight but they need Jeremy Roach, in my opinion, to be the team that uh, has a chance to get because without him, I don't see it. Uh, I, I think they've got to be a little bit nastier uh, on the defensive end. Um, they certainly out-rebounded Louisville by, uh, I think, 15. So they have it within them. Mark Mitchell, I think, is, is a difference maker in terms of athleticism. But uh, I'm going to repeat, repeat that point one more time. Jeremy Roach needs to be on the floor for Duke to be the complete team they are. Yeah, Henson, you are a North Carolina alum. You can see that NC just above your shoulder over there on the uh, on the uh, medals that you have back there and some of the trophies you have back there. I know that you don't love saying nice things about Duke, but where does this team stand to you? And and I think we can all agree that North Carolina is the favorite in the ACC right now, probably the best team. How far behind is is Duke when they are healthy and when they're playing with all of their guys? Yeah, when they're healthy. Um, I mean, they're not far behind. I think in a couple weeks or maybe less than a couple weeks, that, that game of UNC, if they're fully healthy, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a game for UNC or, or you know, to win that game. So Duke is a scary team when healthy because we really don't know what they look like at full strength yet. Even with Roach going down today, Foster didn't have a good game today. Proctor did. So if they're all rotating on all cylinders – we still haven't really seen what they could be. Maybe early in the season, they beat Baylor, you know, maybe. But uh, down the stretch healthy, this is a team that could win the ACC. And, you know, if you do the math and you look at the last ACC champions, right, five to six losses is usually going to get you in the mix to either tie or win the ACC championship. So two games is not that big of a difference between them and UNC right now, and, and they got them coming up. So um, Duke is right there in the mix. Um, healthy wise, I, 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 we've yet to see what they look like, but I think they're gonna they're gonna be right there at the end with with North Carolina, potentially Florida State now, right? How they look, um, and some other teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, getting Proctor playing well is key. Getting Roach healthy is key, and I also do think having the athleticism and presence of Mark Mitchell uh, really matters. Mm -hmm. As long as uh, R.J. Davis keeps playing like Steph Curry, though, I don't think anybody else <laughs> has a chance in the AC. I'll just put that out there. Listen, uh, we got to take a quick break. On the other side. We're going to talk about two of the number one seeds from our most recent Fielding the 68 bracket and how they win. What's going on, guys? Before we get back to the show, I need to let you all know about the Field of 68 Daily, an all-encompassing college basketball newsletter that arrives in your inbox, you guessed it, daily. For less than a dollar a week, you'll wake up every morning to more than 1,500 words detailing everything that you need to know to stay up to date on the world of college basketball. From the notable mid-major upsets 
to the stars that are out injured, to the breakout performances that only our team of college basketball junkies watched. The Daily is edited and produced by Mike Miller, who spent more than two decades running NBC's digital written content, and is subscribed by more than half of the Division I coaching staffs, the biggest names in college basketball media, and the agents that work as power brokers in the sport. For just $50 for the year, you get access to the same information that the insiders get. And before we get you back to your regularly scheduled Field of 68 content, let me tell you guys about the Field of 68 merch store. Head over to fieldof68.shop for officially branded Field of 68 apparel. Whether you're supporting your favorite team in the student section or from the couch, there is no better way to gear up and the latest from the Field of 68. The best thing I can say about our merch is the quality of the product. Anyone that has ever worn a t-shirt knows how frustrating it is when the neck gets all stretched out and the bottom of the shirt starts looking like the bottom of bell-bottom jeans. And there's nothing worse than a hoodie that loses its snugness that makes it such a perfect way to stay warm during the cold winter weather. Whether you're shopping for yourself or for the college basketball fan in your life, everything you need is at the Field of 68.shop. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. It is the Tuesday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. We are presented by our partners over at BetMGM. We are live, Sirius XM Channel 84. We're on Stadium. We are streaming on YouTube. We are streaming on X. My name is Rob Doster. That is John Henson. That is Coach Chris Mack. And that is a long intro to get into a conversation about number four Houston going on the road and beating Number 21, BYU. The final score there was 75-68. to 68. It looked for a little while like Houston was going to run away with this thing, but BYU made a big run down the stretch. They were able to get it tied with about a minute left, but Houston made some free throws and found a way to pull away, getting, you'll be shocked, some stops on the defensive end of the floor. Um, Chris, it feels like Houston is just that team this year that's going to consistently fly under the radar, and I don't know if that's because – uh, they didn't really beat anybody in non-conference. If that's just because there is nothing really sexy or flashy about this Houston team, um, 
But if they can go on the road to teams like BYU, to teams that are as high in the metrics as BYU is and, and control a game from the tip, it, that feels like something that's notable, especially when you get a guy like LJ Cry, who struggled a little bit in Big 12 play to get it going. What do you make of Houston? What do you make of the Cougars? What do you make of Kelvin Sampson's program? I mean, their transition to the Big 12 hasn't been very tough, very difficult for them. I mean, they go on the road back-to-back games. They lose at Iowa State in a one-possession game. They lose at TCU in a one-point game. Other than that, they haven't lost. I I love Houston. They got junkyard dogs. They play three-guard lineups. Manuel Sharp didn't play as well tonight as he normally does. But LJ Cryer, Jamal Shedd, those guys really know how to control the game, get in the lane, uh, and hit shots. And, And you know this, whether it's this year, whether it's last year, whether it's the last four or five years, Houston defends their tails off. And, you know, BYU, 68 points is, is about as low as you're going to see when you watch a BYU team play. Houston just has a bunch of junkyard dogs. I would not be surprised if they're not a Final Four team once again. Uh, I, I just love everything about their DNA, the identity that, that Calvin Sampson has formed really since he took over uh, the Houston Cougars. They're legit in my mind. They're they're not scared of any moment of any team. Uh, they're the real deal. And the transition they've made to the Big 12 has been seamless. John? Yeah. Um, they haven't let anyone score over 70 points on them, which is, I mean, super impressive to have that kind of defensive focus. Um, is pretty impressive. And, like, at the, the Iowa State game I watched – I mean, they could have won that game, and even TCU on the road, tough environments. They, they're they here to stay, you know, as far as that is because of being one of the top teams in the country. And when you got two guards that can control the game and you defend at the level that they defend, you're going to be in every single game. And if I had to take Houston at the end of games against anybody they play coming on the schedule, I'm taking them in, in one or two possession games. So – I'm excited to see them at Texas. That's my game that I want to see what happens because Texas is also trending up. But for the most part, man, Houston is making a seamless transition to the Big 12. Not much has changed. They've lost two games, um, true, true road games. That's the only, that's the only kind of blips on their um, resume. You know, they're, they're definitely like a Final Four team for sure, number one seed if they keep this pace. So I, I – I agree with everything you guys just said. And I say this in the context of them being a top five team in the sport and one of the top probably three programs over the course of the last like six or seven years. I'm a little bit worried about teams where their offense is when everything breaks down, just throw it up at the basket and we'll go try to get it right. I'm a little bit worried when you are a team that kind of relies a little bit on turnovers getting stuff in transition. like It just feels like at some point, great offense is going to beat great defense. And I don't know, Chris, if if I would call Houston necessarily a great offensive team, but I feel like that's also just me kind of uh, nitpicking a little bit what this, this team and this program can be. Listen, I think that, you know, you as a program, you as a coach have to figure out what is your identity going to be. You know, you can't You can't be the jack of all trades. You know, you can't be a team that's a lockdown team in the half court defensively. You know, you can't be and then also be a team that that plays up tempo. And then and then you're also a team that really executes in the half court. Like, you know, Kelvin Sampson's team, they defend you and they are junkyard dogs on both ends of the floor on the glass. And I also feel like they have some guys that can 
get their own. Now that 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 may not manifest itself into to you saying it's a you know a high octane, uh, powerful type offense, but they got some guys that like John said, you know, one possession game, somebody he he can get his shot off. You know, so can L.J. Cryer. So can Emmanuel Sharp, for that matter. He's only a sophomore. So um, I just think that they're going to give themselves a chance. I'm not saying that they're going to win it all. I'm not going to say they're, they're a shoe-in for the Final Four by any means. I just think no matter who they play, they're going to figure out, because of their identity and who they've been who they are this year, to keep it a one-possession game. They're going to be in the game, and they're going to give themselves a chance to win because their identity is defend your ass and rebound the ball on both ends of the floor. And they may play a Connecticut yeah, team, I, a team that like can match, you know, match their physicality on the glass. It's going to happen, but they're not going to back down to anybody they play. They're always going to, in my opinion, give themselves a chance to win. Yeah, I, I'm saying all this, John. In, in the last four NCAA tournaments we've had, Houston's gone to the Sweet 16, to the Final Four, to the Elite Eight, into the Sweet 16. Maybe I am. Uh, maybe I'm just being a hater. Is that what the kids call it these days? Am I just? I, I might just be well, being a hater. Well, I, I think the. Them being in the Big 12 is going to, I mean, instill confidence oh. and yeah. teach them how to beat teams in different ways. You got to think in the conference they were last year, they just would hold teams to 40 points and win by 30. So there was no resistance. There was no challenge. There was no losing two games back-to-back -back on the road and having to come back and win a game against a good team. So I think right. all this is, is going to help them in the tournament and just be like, hey, look, all right, we've been here before. We've seen this. We've been down by one at TCU with two possessions left. Like, not this isn't the first time we've seen this in the Sweet 16 in, in two months. All right, so transitioning from one number one seed to the other number one seed from our fielding, the 68 bracket, Purdue tonight put up 99 <laughs> points on Michigan. The final score was 99 to 67. You could have turned this thing off five minutes in. Mac, there was one point in the second half, I want to say with about 11 or 12 minutes left, where Purdue didn't have a turnover yet. Now, they finished with seven. They got a little sloppy at the end, which will, you know, kind of happen in games like this. But uh, Braden Smith, 11 points, 10 assists, seven boards. Lance Jones, 24 points. Zach Eady, who I think has reclaimed his title as like the official Big Z of college basketball. If you disagree with me, feel free to go ahead and, and weigh in there. But he only he had 16 and 10, and it felt like he just – I don't want to say he wasn't trying, but he was just kind of on cruise control out there after going for 30 and, and, and 10 in each of the last three games. Um, I guess my big question with Purdue is how, how can you trust a team where it feels like one of their important players, one of their important guards, like they, they just don't all come together at the same time? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, Max. I think I think I think if you're if you're nitpicking them, you know, I, I think that there have been times where, you know, lawyer didn't play his best. Uh, Zach Eady's always going to be a problem, and you know, I, I guess when I think of Purdue, Rob, I think of a team that that we all know the storyline. Amazing regular season, unbelievable, you know, conference tournament run. And they go in and they're the second one seed to, you know, ever lose in the first round. And they've had to wear that the entire offseason. Now, those, those guys developed a hunger, a sort of pissed off attitude. They go into this season. And it's like you don't start with the NCAA tournament. You start with game one in the non-conference part of the season. And so 
at times maybe Purdue hasn't looked as sharp. They've, they've obviously played an incredible schedule. Uh, they, they won the Maui. Uh, you know, they took their, their a couple lumps early on in Northwestern and in the Big Ten. But I think at the end of the day, when that NCAA tournament rolls around, you're, you're going to see a different Purdue team. I'm not saying they're going to go to the Final Four. I'm not I'm – those guys have had that in the back of their mind ever since they sat in that locker room a year ago, last March. Um, it's the worst feeling in the world when you lose in the NCAA tournament. I can't imagine what they felt, you know, and, and obviously getting Jones uh, out of the portal, I think helps maybe a little bit of their uh, weakness in terms of taking guys off the dribble and adding a potent score on the perimeter, uh, a guy that's able to defend as well. So uh, I, I really like Matt Painter's group. I think he can nitpick him a little bit here and there, but they're going to they're going to win the Big Ten Big Ten Conference tournament, and they're going to do some damage in the NCAA tournament, in my opinion. Uh, Henson, I, I think the the consensus kind of is right now it's Duke and Purdue, and then or I'm sorry, UConn and Purdue, and then everybody else is that. Are you there? You're a North Carolina guy. Would you put North Carolina in that same conversation? Like where where do we stand on the top? Maybe the top tier. Yeah, I, I'm I'm there with you. I think those are the two teams that are right there. You know, if we today we said, hey, if you had to bet your money on two teams that would win it, North Carolina's below. And, and I don't think – I think they're at their ceiling of what we can think of them. Being at the ACC, we won't really – even if they beat Duke, I mean, is that going to change how we feel about them being championship contenders? They'll probably just stay where we thought they would be. Um, in reference to Purdue, I think the only way they lose is a bad matchup. That's the thing I'm worried about Purdue. Just a bad matchup. Just coming against a team that may have a big. What, what big would a bad matchup be to you? Where, where, where do you, where do you have see a, a bad matchup? That, 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 I would say a big match for them is, is, a, is a big man that could potentially hold his own down there. I'm not saying, you know, guard Edie, but hold his own down there and, and not need as much help and, and make other players beat them on Purdue. If, if you can get down there, even get him in foul trouble, put him on the perimeter, you know. I look at a team like Kentucky, right? If with the size they have, if they could get him moving around and they got Dylan Hand coming off screens and Edie's got to be moving around and, and, and if Edie's playing in a drop against Dylan Hand Jr., he's going to have 40. So, like, <laughs> what, what, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? So, that's the only way I see them losing, and it may not happen. But if they come against a, a team with high-level offense, I mean, even like UConn, I would take UConn over Purdue right now just because I think Klingon can hold it down for a little bit. Because you know ball. That's what it is. Because you know yeah, ball. Force Edie to take some <laughs> shots. And nobody's, nobody's going to be able to guard Tristan Newton. He's going to be spraying the ball around. They've got shooters. I mean, it could be ugly. But that's, that's the only way I see them having a problem this year, to be honest. It's just a bad matchup. But they are the best team in the country to me. Yeah. All right, Matt, give me seven your game, game plan series. right now. You're, you're seven-game the series, they're going to win all. Seven-game series, yeah. <laughs> I, I think they would win it all. That's but the that's beauty of the tournament, man. We don't play seven-game series here. We got we got one-game series. Mac, real quick, give me your your uh, your game plan to upset Purdue first weekend of the NCAA tournament. What are you doing? Praying? Oh, man. I, I think it would really come down to, you know, who's played well for Purdue the last five to eight games. You know, I, I think that, like, is there a guy that's maybe in his head a little bit, hasn't hit shots, Braden Smith, that guy? You know, because he's had some games where he's gone one for ten. The thing I love about him, though, is he's gonna—he's not gonna tie his effort uh, on running the team or his defensive effort into how he's shooting the ball. But you know, you, you can you can have a guy maybe double Zach Eady uh, off the catch, 
get deep position because then the doubles are relevant. He's already dunking the ball on the guy that's coming to double him. So being able to push him away from the box, you know, and just like John talked about, somebody that can hold their own. I also see it from the other perspective. If Zach Eady's got to guard a guy that's, you know, a stretch five that, that can, you know, knock down five or six threes. Um, where all of a sudden it's like you're getting a big fellow away from the basket. You're putting him in predicament of getting in foul trouble a little bit by moving his feet but being further from the basket uh, than he'd like to be. But, uh, again, just nitpicking. You know, I still think they're going to be there uh, right to the end in March. Uh, I think they're clearly – those guys in UConn are two of the best – are the two best teams in college basketball right now. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this much. If we get a Purdue-UConn matchup on Monday night in Phoenix, April 8th, I will not be complaining about seeing that happen. Listen, <laughs> uh, we got to get the break here. Um, on the other side of the break, I want to ask you about, guys about the team that is actually in first place in the Big Ten standings right now. It's not Purdue. We'll tell you who next. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th, and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. Welcome back to the Tuesday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. I have Chris Mack with me. I have John Henson with me. We just finished talking about Purdue, who won by roughly 1,000 points tonight at home <laughs> against Michigan, who uh, is actually in last place in the Big Ten, which is not something I would have expected to say uh, three months ago when I was planning out what we were going to do for this season. Purdue's not in first place, though. That is Wisconsin, who went on the road tonight, they went to the barn, they went up to Minneapolis, and they beat Minnesota 61-59 to in a game where they blew a double-digit lead in the second half but found a way to hang on down the stretch. It was actually a wild finish. Uh, Minnesota yeah. went to the line for two shots, down by three with, I think, three seconds left, hit the first, missed the second perfectly. The shooter that missed the free throw got a rebound in the corner, had like a good look from about 10 feet that he missed with a chance to tie the game and force overtime. Wisconsin survives. They're 15-4. and four. They're 7-1 and one of the conference. A.J. Storr still balling out. Uh, Tyler Wall still balling out. Max Klesman has been on fire for the last two weeks. And I 
don't know if I actually buy this team, Mac. Like I, I, I'll watch them. I'll watch them do things, and I'll say, "Oh, look, you're going to give a Wisconsin team a guy and an athlete and a penetrator like AJ Store, and you got guys that can make shots. You got the big guy Stephen Crowell inside, and all this, and then you watch them go on the road and struggle with Minnesota, and go on the road and uh, lose at Penn State. And I don't know where do you stand on Wisconsin? Are they for real? I guess is the question I'm asking. I, I stand right about where you stand. You know, uh, they're 15 and four. I think Greg's done a great job uh, with his team. But I'm not blown away by their talent. I'm certainly not blown away by, um, you know, just uh, – I think they're a good team. I, I don't think they have a chance of winning the Big Ten. Um, you know, I think that belongs to Purdue. I think they got an early lead. We're going to know a lot more about Wisconsin here over the next week and a half. They go Michigan State at home. They go at Nebraska, uh, which has suddenly become uh, one of the most difficult places to play in the country, and then you go uh, Purdue at home. So it's going to get real for them. Um, they've done a great job up to this point, a couple scares. Obviously, the, the loss to Penn State hurts them. But uh, find out what they're making games. If, if all of a sudden they're 18-4 and four or even 17-5, and five, then you know, maybe we have a different conversation. But uh, those are going to be three challenging games for sure. Yeah, Henson, they, I just can't shake the uh... – I watched the whole game when they went to Providence, and they, they were down about like 30 in that game, right? And I know they beat Marquette, and I know they have the win at Michigan State, and they're 7-1 and one in, in Big Ten play. But there's just something about the first time that you see a team, if they get waxed, you just can't get that out of your head. It's like an earworm, man. It just gets stuck in there. Hey, a wise man was told me first impression is a last impression, so you're right about that. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I think they're doing the things they're supposed to do. They're winning the games they're supposed to win. However it may come. Um, and I think we overlook that sometimes. Oh, we don't think a team's going to be good or we're going to win. But, I mean, they're, you know, besides the Penn State loss, I mean, they're, they make their free throws. They don't really turn it over that, well, that much. They, they pass the ball. They're a solid team. And right now in this college basketball this year, solid teams are good teams. And so the stress they have coming up, like Coach Mack said, we'll be able to get to see who they are. But they're doing what they're supposed to do, and, and I respect it. And, and I can't really put them in a category of what they're going to be, but within the next two weeks, we will know what they are. Um, and I'm willing to bet that they may come out of that stretch, you know, eight and three, which still puts them right in the mix um, to be at the top of the Big Ten and potentially challenge Purdue if they, you know, decide to slip up. It's going to be on them, not Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> Their their last game of the regular wanna, season. Go ahead, man. I, I don't want to like uh, you know give Badger fans a uh, the wrong impression. I think they're a good team, like John talked about. I just don't think they're you know in, in Purdue's class. You know, which again, how many teams are? You know, I think that they've they've played obviously really well. Uh, you win, it's all that matters. You know, but uh, I, I obviously when it, when it's a, a close game and Minnesota is a tough place to play. Um, you know, you, if you're going to challenge for a Big Ten title on the road, whether they're a good team or, or, or an average team. And so uh, we'll know a lot more about Wisconsin after these next three games, in my opinion. But I, I just don't think they're in Purdue's class. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, well, what the one thing I'm hoping for is that Wisconsin and Purdue are tied atop the Big Ten standings on the last game of the regular season when Wisconsin's got to go on the road to Purdue 
on Sunday on the last day of the regular season on the last home game of Zach Eady's career. Good luck beating them on senior night for uh, for the man that we got to call Big Z. Um, all right, I, I teased this a little bit earlier. I got a hot take about the Big 12, and I got to I gotta get your guys' opinions on this because I don't know if I'm taking crazy pills, but part of me kind of thinks that this love fest for how difficult the Big 12 is has a lot to do with the Big 12 just kind of beating up on each other and them having all these great computer numbers, okay? So – Texas and Oklahoma is the perfect example of this for me. Texas goes on the road. They beat Oklahoma, who's ranked number 11, uh, by 15 points. We're all going to rave about how big of a win this is because Oklahoma looks great in the rankings. They have this great computer profile. Well, Oklahoma's big wins this season right now. They beat Iowa on a neutral floor, whatever. They beat USC on a neutral floor, okay. They beat uh, Arkansas on a neutral floor, that's fine. They beat Providence at home. I guess that's pretty good. Then they got Iowa State and they got Cincinnati on the road, right? Which are good wins if you think that the Big 12 is good and buy the computer metrics. Texas, who just beat them, their wins this season, LSU on neutral. They won at Cincinnati, which I guess is pretty good. Now they won at Oklahoma. They have beaten Baylor at home, which is a pretty good win, but that's basically one good win, one great win between those two teams, right? You look at TCU. They've beaten Houston at home. And beyond that, it's like everything is on Oklahoma win, another team in the Big 12. Cincinnati, same kind of thing. They won at BYU. They beat TCU in overtime. Are we really that impressed with TCU when they haven't really beaten anyone themselves? So I guess what I'm asking, Henson, is the Big 12 actually good? Is it this good? Or is it just a bunch of like pretty good teams that are cannibalizing each other and beating up on each other because there's no real difference between the best team and like the 12th best team? Yeah, you know, we you talked about how like kind of like the SEC floor, like are they really good or are they just beating over each other? And then, but at the end of the day, the SEC is the SEC and it's the best conference in in the, in the land, and they judge that by championships, which the Big Twelve hasn't been able to do per se as of late. But I think Cincinnati is the epitome of the Big Twelve. They beat BYU at BYU. They lose by one to Texas. Lose by three to Baylor. Beat TCU. Lost by four to OCU. Lose by five to Fall Island. And they're at the bottom of the standings. I think that shows how good the Big 12 is because Cincinnati's a good team, in my opinion. And they're literally two possessions away from potentially being three or four high-level tournament teams. So I do think the Big 12 is a little overrated, but, I mean, they've got 10, 11 teams that I think should and could get into that tournament. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, right? You know, everyone's going to be keeping tally of what what the Big 12 does in the, in, the, in March Madness. But um, right now, they're just a really deep league, and, and they're out-of-conference games that the teams have won and played. You know, they fared fairly well as well. So um, I wouldn't say they're overrated, but not as good as people say they are. Mac? Man, I think it's a hell of a conference. <laughs> I think that, um, you know, five games into conference play, I don't think you can really look at standings. You know, I, I think it obviously depends on who you've played at home, who, who you've played away. But literally almost every team in the Big 12 outside of maybe two or three teams brought in like heavy non-conference records. Now, you can nitpick on certain teams like you talked about with Oklahoma, their strength of schedule in the non-conference. But for the most part, Big 12 isn't ducking anybody. And almost every team came in with a – 12 and 1 record, 13 and 0 record, 10 and 3 record. You know, very very few 
upsets um, by the teams that I think are going to be representing the Big 12 in the NCAA tournament. They are going to beat up on each other. <laughs> it's a hard league, man. You play two games. Sometimes you're playing Saturday, Monday, um, you know, home. Then you go on the road. You know, the, the Baylors, the Kansases, the Houstons of the world, like you got some really good teams, some really talented players. And John knows this, man. When you, when you have a, a power conference like if you're a team that's maybe towards the bottom and, and not necessarily going to be a team that makes the NCAA tournament, you probably got a dude or two on your team that can go off for 30 or 35 and, and, and upset somebody in your conference. And I think that's what's happened in a few of these games. Uh, I think they're going to have 10 bids, uh, 11. You know, it's, it's certainly going to be really odd to see, like, what type of conference record still – Tournament. I know the committee never says says that never matters, but it's going to be really interesting to see this. The seven and thirteen get you in the NCAA tournament. Eight and twelve get you in the NCAA tournament. But uh, a lot of deserving teams, in my opinion. Yeah, I think they'll probably get ten or eleven, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Pac-12 is looking more and more like a one or two bid league, yeah. um, and the ACC might end up being like a four bid league. And you got to get these teams in from somewhere, right? Yeah, two and a half. You, you got to get these teams in from somewhere. You know, we might see two come out of Missouri Valley. Um, depending on what happens with Dayton, we might see two come out of the Atlantic 10. Uh, we might see like five, maybe six come out of the Mountain West, depending on how everything shakes out out there. But you got to get these bids somewhere. And a lot of them are going to come from the Big 12. I just kind of feel a little bit like it's – so you remember the Big 10? I want to say it was like 2022 – when yeah. I think they got 11 teams into the tournament and um, I think maybe one of them made it out of the first weekend. It, it just, it kind of feels like that a little bit to me where there's a lot of good teams and I don't know if there's necessarily uh, more than, than Kansas and Houston, any great teams, but uh, I guess that will all kind of play out. And I will say this, I don't know if there's a league that has coaching the level that uh, the big 12 does from team one all the way down to team 14. There's a lot of guys that, um, that are good there. A lot of home court advantages. It's it's you're right. It's a bear. Maybe I'm just talking out of my ass. Maybe this is just the day where I talk out of my ass and I say some things, and you guys try to talk some sense into me, and it actually works. Who knows? We'll see if that happens. Um, listen, when we come back, I have a former Xavier head coach here with me. Xavier lost on the road to Creighton. We're going to talk a little bit about that, and we got to talk about the big news of the weekend: Ed Coley's homecoming. We're going to be there. What's he going through right now? What's going on, guys? Before we get back to the show, I need to let you all know about the Field of 68 Daily, an all-encompassing college basketball newsletter that arrives in your inbox, you guessed it, daily. For less than a dollar a week, you'll wake up every morning to more than 1,500 words detailing everything that you need to know to stay up to date on the world of college basketball. From the notable mid-major upsets to the stars that are out injured to the breakout performances that only our team of college basketball junkies watched. The Daily is edited and produced by Mike Miller, who spent more than two decades running NBC's digital written content, and is subscribed by more than half of the Division I coaching staffs, the biggest names in college basketball media, and the agents that work as power brokers in the sport. For just $50 for the year, you get access to the same information that the insiders get. And before we get you back to your regularly scheduled Field of 68 content, let me tell you guys about the Field of 68 merch store. Head over to fieldof68.shop for officially branded Field of 68 apparel. 
Whether you're supporting your favorite team in the student section or from the couch, there is no better way to gear up than the latest from the Field of 68. The best thing I can say about our merch is the quality of the product. Anyone that has ever worn a t-shirt knows how frustrating it is when the neck gets all stretched out and the bottom of the shirt starts looking like the bottom of bell-bottom jeans. And there's nothing worse than a hoodie that loses its snugness that makes it such a perfect way to stay warm during the cold winter weather. Whether you're shopping for yourself or for the college basketball fan in your life, everything you need is at the field of 68.shop. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Tuesday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. I have John Henson. I have Chris Mack. We're live on SiriusXM. We're live on Stadium, and we're streaming over on YouTube. Make sure you jump in the chat. Fire away some questions. We are going to have last call going tonight. We're answering anything you want to ask us for about 30 minutes. There's a lot going on in college basketball, so I know that you guys have some questions. Uh, Mac, I'm going to start with you on this one. So Creighton beat Xavier 85-78. to I actually thought Xavier played really well considering that they've been shorthanded this season and considering they were going on the road to one of the tougher environments uh, in the Big East. Um, I thought their guards were really good. I thought they've been really impressive all year, and I think this Xavier team can score. It feels like they're just one guy short, right? It feels like uh, they just had one big body inside that would be able to deal with some of the size and some of the physicality that they'd have a real chance this year. Is that, you think that's fair to say? I, I think Sean's well, done a good job with the pieces that he has available. Yeah, obviously Xavier fans know it very well. I mean, you lose, um, you know, two quality starters and, and you know, uh, Zach Fremantle and, and, uh, and Jerome Hunter. I mean, that, that just puts you behind the eight ball to start the year. But uh, I feel like they've been playing their best basketball of the year. I felt like they were in control uh, the entire game mm-hmm. until Shireman got it going um, there late. I think McDermott ran an out-of-bounds play for him. He hit a three and sort of got him going. And then, you know, with, with Kalkbrenner, he's just such a, a, a tough matchup. If you ever switch a ball screen, they just roll him to the rim and throw it up in the air. And, you know, he's just so daggone long. Um, and, he, and he's not the strongest kid in the world. So any, any bump um, – now it's going to get the call, and uh, not that it wasn't, but he's going to get the call, and that put a couple guys on, on you know, Xavier's bench. Uh, I thought McKnight kept him in the game. He had some big-time floaters, big-time pull-ups uh, over Kalkbrenner, but uh, tough place to play. I feel like Xavier's been playing their best basketball here as of late. Um, but, 
I don't know what the magic number is for them in terms of how many wins they have to get in the Big East to, to be an NCAA tournament team. I, I saw, I think it was Lenardi had them like next four out, whatever that is, or the last four, you know, uh, kind of thing. So uh, they're moving in the right direction. They, they've got young bigs. They just do, you know, but uh, they're getting better. Uh, whether they can get good enough to make the tournament, I think that'll be an interesting storyline here over the next month. Yeah. Henson, I want to ask you about Creighton because we had a, a long conversation about them on Saturday. And I I love the way that the roster is built. I love the presence of Kalkbrenner, and I think that McDermott runs really, really good stuff. I just think that they're they need a guy that can break down a defense. They need like a, a Lance Jones, right? They need someone that can um, that can be quick enough to where you just kind of call something up and say, all right, we need you to get a paint touch here. We need you to go beat someone. We need you to make a play. Everything's broken down. There's eight seconds left on the shot clock. We need someone to go make something happen. I feel like they don't have that guy. What do you make of this team? They're 6-3 and three in the Big East. They're sitting in third place in the conference right now. Where do you stand? Yeah, they're, they're doing what they – they're, they're doing the best with what they've got. Um, you know, I was watching the game today, and I think a kid, a kid like Ashworth, right, little undersized, can't really drive you like that, you know, but plays the game the right way, a little feisty. You know, I think, you know, that hurts them, right? Last on the perimeter, they had Nimhard and uh, Kaluma, who were two guys that could really get after it offensively and, and brought a kind of different level of athleticism, speed, and skill on that perimeter, which they don't have. So now they're playing faster and they're shooting more threes, which is how they're countering it. And uh, for the most part, they're doing they're doing well. Um, you know, I think we had higher expectations for them, but as it stands right now, they're doing the best with what they got, as is Xavier. Um, but I do like Creighton. They're, they're going to be a hard team to beat. They like to, you know, they can shoot the ball. Um, they've got the two-time defensive player of the year down low. So they're always going to have a chance in, in most games. Um, their ceilings is very limited with the current roster they have. But I like what McDermott is, is doing with that roster, and, 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 and they're, they're playing well, considering kind of the lack of talent on the perimeter, per se, um, offensively. All right, I want to – No, my boy Trado. Trado. No, disrespect to my boy Trado. I'm, I'm sorry. I've, I didn't mention like, him, but he, I, No, look, I love nice. – I've been on the Trey – I've been on the Trey Alexander bandwagon since he was a freshman. I love what he could do defensively, and I think that he is a very good uh, piece. I just feel like he'd be best if you had um, a, a – like a small, quick point guard next to him and allowed him to be like that secondary guy, that second side guy. That You know, I, I just – I don't think he – his role is as the number one point guard, I mean, leader, however you want to phrase it. Play, playing him, for, playing him and Sharman forty minutes a night, and you're not having even reached the meat a bit of, of, of the schedule. It's not, it's not good, which tells you a lot about the drop off in talent when they go out of the game. Yep, um, I, I do want to switch gears a little bit and stay in the Big East. Ed Cooley is heading back to uh, to Providence after um, leaving this uh this this spring for georgetown uh we're going to be up there for that game i'm expecting it to be uh I, I guess intense is probably the nice way to say it maybe angry maybe a lot of uh frustrated fans maybe some um tall boys flying around all over the place uh if you guys mac we'll start with you on this one if you're if you're in that situation and you're ed cooley like how do you how do you handle this? How do you, how do you, what is going through your head? What is going through your mind? I mean, you've, 
you've coached in your hometown before, right? And, and it just how do you how do you deal with that? What is he going through in this moment? What you know, whatever is going through your mind, I, I think it's important to sort of leave it there uh, and not necessarily, you know, share it with the team. I would I would just prepare my team as best I can, you know, and, and talk about the strengths and, and weaknesses of Providence, how you're going to attack them, and not necessarily about worry about the environment. You might address it and just say, hey, it's going to be chaotic. Uh, but let's let's concentrate and worry about what's in the lines. Let's make sure that. You know, we get off to a really good start. You know, last thing you want to do is walk in there and all of a sudden it's 10 to 2 friars and then it's just going to get worse. You got to make sure you're giving your best punch. You guys are ready from the get-go. Uh, but it's going to be a unique experience, but it's going to be something he's going to have to deal with, you know, every year because, uh, you know, in the Big East, you get that true round robin. You play everybody home and away. It's not like the ACC or some of the other conferences where you only play maybe once every couple of years. Uh, so, this will be the first taste, and I'm sure it's not going to be um, the most welcome, uh, the well, most welcome Ed Cooley's ever gotten before. Yeah, Henson, I, would this be akin to you um, leaving North Carolina, transferring to Duke, and then walking back into the Dean Dome wearing that that, that Duke blue? You, can, can I even put this thought in your head without you wanting to throw up? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if it compares to that, but I, I think. Providence fans and people around the program got to have a little more, like, grace, man. Like, do we even know what a Providence Friar is without Ed Cooley? Like, what are we talking about here? Like, you know, they should be kind of thanking him for for being there so long, get, putting that program into prominence. I mean, it was a job people would have taken. They've got a nice young coach now that usher in the future. Like, I think he should get a standing O rather than all the kind of hate that we've been seeing and – you know, it's going to be a hostile environment, but like, I, I, I mean, I think he's he's a legend for that program. He should be treated as one. You walk through those doors. That's that's kind of where I'm at with the two. But listen, we're going to talk a lot more about that later this week and on Saturday. Listen, in the field of 68 after dark, we're heading over to Stadium's YouTube channel. Last call. We answer your question. Thirty minutes. <laughs> 